0: Being a firstborn daughter in an African household comes with an unspoken sense of responsibility. The first time I knew of this responsibility was many years ago, as a child. My younger brother did something naughty at home right. I think he broke a glass in the kitchen, and my mom punished me for his actions. She whooped my ass because, (sighs) apparently, I'm supposed to be aware of everything my siblings are up to, and make sure I set a good example for them so they wouldn't be naughty. Yeah, even at that young age, the logic made no sense whatsoever to me. Why was I being punished for something I didn't do? And why did I have to be responsible for everything my siblings did?
1: Hi, my name is Anita. I am a media operations lead and I live in Abuja.
0: Today's guest, Anita, can fully relate to my experience. (laughs) Not the same origin story, but as a firstborn child and firstborn daughter, she understands that you're the unofficial second parent of the family. She understands that being the eldest daughter comes with its own distinct and specific set of expectations, responsibilities, duties, and at times, even pressures.
1: So my siblings have this joke that we have—they they have three parents. It's not a joke, but I mean, it's the truth. Uh, so I have always been close with my parents because the three of us had to raise the children.
0: Anita has five siblings, so when she says she had to raise them with her parents, she means it. She pretty much had to do chores for them, make sure they're properly catered for, and like me, set a good example for them.
1: So I wake up at 4am, I get the children ready for school, and then all I needed to do was to go and knock on my parents' door when it was like 7 something in the morning and just go, Papa, uh, see, oh, we're ready, we're ready to go to school. This is like, Just a bunch of people. So when I went to uni, my mother literally broke down because uh, she had to start to wake up early and start taking care of the kids as well.
0: I can't say this was the exact case for Anita, but gender roles, like the expectation that older daughters are automatically meant to cook and clean up after their siblings, definitely plays a role in the way firstborn daughters are pushed to shoulder responsibilities in many households. And that's what today's episode is about, how being born as the first daughter in many African homes can impact who you eventually become. It's about the sacrifices you have to make for your family, all because of an occurrence that you have no control over, being born first. Hi, my name is Aisha Salahuddin, and I like girls. This is a narrative storytelling podcast about African women and the different experiences life throws at us for being women. Anita grew up in a small town in Edo State, southern Nigeria, with her parents and siblings. Her responsibilities as the first daughter didn't automatically fall on her lap on a random day. It crept in slowly. It started off with simple tasks here and there.
1: It starts from the baby is crying and then they're like, go and carry him. And Fair. you're carrying him, and then it start, then he graduates to, oh yeah, just feed him. I, I'm coming. I'm, I want to go and do something. Just feed him for a bit. Um, but like growing up, my my siblings knew that if you wanted to get something, you needed to like ask me. It was like going to the board of directors or something. Like you had to yeah. ask me, then ask ask my parents, and then sometimes even if my parents approved, they would be looking at my eye to see whether I approved too, and it was weird because I was like <laughs> seven, eight. Uh, okay do you approve this person should this person do this even down to the schools that they went to
0: you don't set out to be a mom to your siblings like with anita it just happens
1: what usually happens is that when the first child comes everybody around you is telling you oh you have given birth to your sister or you've given birth to your brother so that relationship is just formed from like the get-go that this is the person who is going to help me raise the other ones and nobody is seeking your permission they're just yeah, they're just there, you know, they just employed you. they're not paying you. you're just somewhere there
0: growing up, I had to, and I'm using air quotes here, sacrifice a lot of things for my siblings. There were instances of my mom buying a snack or a new toy or something interesting for my sister and brothers and completely icing me out. They would have shiny new things to play with and be excited about. and I'll just be there. It was like I wasn't even considered for those things because, you know, as the oldest daughter, I had to be mature and make room for my siblings to experience new things. I always wondered, why can't I experience them too? Why do I have to be excluded? I didn't choose to be born first.
1: How they treated my siblings with softness, how like they bought stuff for them. They usually say, uh, you don't have to buy for Anita because she's not going to complain. And All then... Right. Yeah, and my father would be looking at my eye just to see whether I was going to try and complain or something. And then he would not go on this long talk about sacrifice and how you have to put all that for, your, for yourself and all of that. And that followed me into adulthood. So if I wanted to ask for something, I would think a lot about it, about all the people that might be affected by me wanting that thing, about all the people that should have it first, about how, like... I don't have, is it necessary? Like, I only live my life with things that I absolutely need because Mm. if something is surplus or if something is extra, it has to go to other people who need it first before me. And I have been trying my hardest to just tell myself that, you know what, I'm deserving of just being front of the line of my own life, you know, And, and that's really something that you don't realize that you have carried on, that you are not the first person on the line in your own life.
0: I feel Anita, she was raised to always sacrifice things for her siblings, to put their needs above hers. So, even in adulthood, when she had the freedom to go crazy and do things for herself, she struggled to do so. Shaking off how you were raised is an extreme sport that a lot of people often feel at. I asked Anita, in those moments, when she had to sacrifice the little things for her siblings, how did it make her feel?
1: So it's it's more. I was angry. It made me angry, and also because my siblings didn't do much when we were growing up. They didn't. They were kings and queens. Um, I was yes. running around. I was like the ch- the child who understood. Even till now, my parents used to say that as a child who understood, I was the one who knew when there was the money was not enough, so that you know I don't have to ask for this thing. And then somehow you, would, I expected that when there was in, a lot or when finally you sorted everybody, you now, you don't need me to ask. So you like sort me out as well without me asking you, right? And it wasn't malicious. Like this is not even, does not think of yeah. like basic stuff. It was, you know, to give everybody treats and then they would say, eh, just sacrifice this one now and give this other person or give this person two and you just take one, that, that you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Made me angry. I didn't understand it for a very long time. And you know, the crazy, another thing is, there's so much loneliness in being the first child yes. that people are talking about. Yes. So you can't talk to your siblings about a couple of things because there's no context, right? Um, mm. you, you've seen your parents through more seasons than they have. Like, I I have yeah, my youngest brother that he came to the house when life was sweet. Like, I'm always mm. like yabbing yeah, him. Because you, you literally just see these people change over time. Like, I saw my parents go from, ah, don't bring anybody to my house or to uh-uh, can you please give your brother this thing now so that his friends are coming tomorrow and he's like, 12. And you're like, oh. since when? when? When is that happening? So yeah, you you, be, you begin to, you, you just, it was just anger. And I was a child who questioned things a lot. Like, I didn't talk much, but my father would say that when I opened my mouth, it was like a bomb came out. I just questioned everything. Like, why? Why am I not getting this thing? Why? Why? So I always got lectures. And the process of just not wanting to hear a lecture just made me be like, you know what? I'm not asking for this thing again. If you don't want to give me, give me. If you don't want to give me, give it. You know, that 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 sort of thing. So it made you angry, but you can't articulate the anger. to so you maybe yeah. go to therapy. You get older. Yeah. So you start to see patterns in your life, maybe about people that you date, or about people that you keep yeah. as friends. About the way that you just you know go through life. You're like, aha, where did this anger come from? Why am I very possessive of certain things? And you just realize. You just were not given the chance to have them, you know, at some
0: point. yeah. You see that bit about loneliness as the firstborn child. I relate to it. I couldn't talk to my siblings about anything because they were on a completely different wavelength. I also felt a bit of resentment towards them. Back then, I blamed them for the responsibilities I had to deal with. So there was nowhere in hell I was going to talk to them about anything. Did Anita feel like that too? If yes, how did she deal with it? We'll explore that after the break. Welcome back. Anita didn't feel resentment towards any of her siblings for her experiences. She felt angry, yes. Tired, yes. Sick of it. But she didn't feel that core bitterness that resentment makes you feel
1: so my younger sister and i we started repairing repairing is a strong word but because we, it was never really bad but we, we both know growing up that it wasn't smooth like it wasn't right. a thing of it just wasn't but my younger sister came out of the home pretty as hell and <laughs> and light skin right so people used to like literally line up in my house to use her to do little bride and wow. maybe it's Saturdays that I don't want to go out or I don't want to do anything and then they're like, follow your sister to this wedding make sure that she does not lose her shoe she does not lose her hair, she does not do this and then I'm following this woman to weddings like, you know, like her guardian and just carry her to do one thing or the other and she knew it, so she was one of these children that knew that they were pretty, so she would actually use me to the fullest, like she would demand stuff, she would throw tantrums and she was doing oh. them all the and it just made me really, really pissed and it's crazy because you're young and you don't want to. And you go to church yeah. and you're religious and you don't want to seem like you're harboring these, you know, crazy feelings about like your family members. But I was like, and I'll tell my mom like, why is this girl being very mean? Like unprovoked. No. Like why is she being very mean? She's not mean to any other person. Why is she mean to me? And you just know that you love this person and they love you too. But your relationships are, your relationship is not smooth because. Of that certain dynamic. We're not allowed to punish her. My mom would not let you touch her because she was she just knew that she was a golden child, sha.
0: Last year, Anita just put it on the table. She was like, yo, what was going on with you back then? The details of that conversation aren't really relevant to this episode. But you know, she and her sister talk things out and they are both pretty chilled now. Personally, I'm chilled with my siblings too. I didn't have any conversation with them about our childhood because I figured that at the end of the day, we're all just kids, existing and living as we were parented. So we talked about the responsibilities imposed on firstborns, the loneliness, the sacrifices that are made, the need to be the perfect child. But there's something else. Yeah, the lab rat. Now, it doesn't always happen. But more often than not, firstborn daughters are experiments to see what works and what doesn't. Your parents make you try a new hobby or chore. If it harms you, then they know not to try it on their other kids. Things like that.
1: So, because my okay. my dad was my dad wanted to make sure that I had no chance to fail. I don't know how to explain it, which is very twisted. Uh, and so I learned everything. I learned tailoring. Oh. I learned printing, I learned. Uh, I went to school. <laughs> I anything that they're like, oh. This thing can bring money in the future. This thing oh. is uh, my father will go and enroll me there. Go and learn. And then I, I think I there's hardly anything I don't know how to do. I learned hairdressing, uh-huh. tailoring, printing, uh basically everything. And I was going, I was following him to, to court because my dad is a lawyer. I was following him to court. I was uh-huh. doing my mother's catering business with her. I was a very, very busy child and teenager because I was like always everywhere and going everywhere. Um, The the entire idea is that they just wanted to expose me to so many things and then they would take me to travel with them, just wanted me to, to be exposed to so many things so that they could finally see, oh, which one works for a child and which one doesn't work. And because what happened then was when my brothers and my sisters started getting older, it was easy for them to be like, oh, you don't have to learn this one your sister did this one before yeah uh you don't want to do this you know it's okay if you don't want to do it do, which one do you want to do uh and stuff like that did they have that choice like every single thing that they say your child is going to benefit if they did this my parents said oh yeah carry your bag come and do this thing there was no space but the others god nana they had space
0: yeah that's the curse of the lab rat you have to try any and everything to see what fails and what works on one hand it's great Because you learn a lot of things, you pick up new skills, and you get to have interesting experiences. But on the flip side, you're exhausted, tired, because you're not given a choice to decide whether or not you actually want the things being thrown at you. It also means that you don't get to be a child. You don't get to play outside or just be. You have to be responsible and grown up. When all you really want to do is throw rocks outside with your friends or read a book in the corner without anybody asking you to come and wash plates or take a class on how to play musical instruments. Did you clash with them based on the fact that they wanted to make some of these choices for you? Because I imagine that you must have.
1: Did you say some? You said
0: some. (laughs) Okay, was it all? (laughs) All. (laughs) What do you mean some? Did Did you ever win any?
1: So, uh, huh, so this is the thing. I have always had what they call strong head. And I just do, if oh. I don't like something, I don't like it. Like, it doesn't matter if it's God Himself, maybe God Shab, but if it doesn't matter if it's like, why are you upset that I saying this thing? Like, if I don't like something, I don't like it. My parents wanted me to, my dad wanted me to be a lawyer. He's a lawyer. So, he wanted me to oh. be a lawyer. And then he had like this plan. Like this very clear plan of how I was going to be a judge before 35.
0: Ah, yes. Yet another curse of being the is that sometimes when you're old enough, your folks decide what career path they think suits you.
1: That's how much he knew it by heart. He used to say, You graduate at 18, you not do this, you not do that, you not. Like he used to reset it with so much glee and so much joy. Then I wanted to be a doctor at the time. And he always looked at me like, This one doesn't know. You don't know, you don't know you like I know you. That's what he used to say. It's like a rapper. (laughs) (laughs) You don't know you like I know you, you know. And we always, I always, I think one of the things we've always had like mutual respect. So my parents are very, uh, are very, oh, let's do this thing. Let's tell you what to do. But at the same time, I don't know if it's because both of them are in the arts and all of that. They are very, they're Mm -hmm. also very, what do you think? right? What do you think is so that you feel like you have a (laughs) voice-o?
0: I know that trick. It's when you frame your verdicts as a suggestion so that your child feels included, (laughs) like they have a voice. Here's what I find interesting about Anita. All of those choices that her parents imposed on her, she actively voiced her dissatisfaction. Even if she didn't win, she made sure her voice was heard. Like she said, (laughs) she has strong head. So... When it was time to get into uni in 2012, Anita didn't study law like her dad wanted. She studied corporate communications. The agreement at the time was that, after the course, she would enroll to study law. But when Anita graduated in 2016, she just kept postponing and postponing. She didn't really want to study law. She eventually summoned the courage to call her dad on the phone and told him that she had no plans to study law. It wasn't an easy phone call.
1: We didn't speak to each other after that for three months.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. That's crazy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and then we just keep having, like, from then on, like, I, after, I I swear to God, the first two days of the three months were so brutal for me because it was, like, the longest mm. that I we have ever gone without speaking. But once I completed those three months, Nana, I never looked back.
0: After making it clear she wasn't into pursuing law, It became kind of easier for Anita to say no to her mom and dad. They would clash, argue and settle. And slowly but surely, she realized that there was some kind of shift. She started caring a little less about wanting to do what they wanted her to do and started living her life for herself. It also helps that she was no longer a child that had to do everything her parents dictated. I mean, it's much harder to get an adult to do as they are told. Okay, so we've talked about how being the first daughter impacted Anita growing up. But what about as an adult? It doesn't just stop because you're older, wiser, have a job, or live alone. The complexities of being the firstborn daughter follows you around like a shadow, (laughs) always.
1: It doesn't change. Anybody who says, I mean, like, Mm -hmm. the people just get older and now they have adult problems like you. And you're worrying about your own adult problems, and you're worrying about I miss what my siblings were all like in secondary school when I was in university. Like I miss it so much. You have no idea. Hmm. No, they have man issues and woman issues and (laughs) career issues, and somehow you're expected to have answers. And apart from that, you're also expected to, you know, not react badly. So there are things that they would do and I mean, you have, some, you have some context, Nana. There are things that, you know, they would do and your parents are, have reacted badly to it. But you're also human and to God, you too, you want to react badly to it. You want to just be like... so you, but you can't. You <laughs> but, but you can't because somehow you're supposed to also be the measured version of your parents. Hmm. If not, you risk you just turning them away and just making them feel unloved.
0: I get what Anita is saying about the expectation of not reacting badly when your siblings come to you with problems. Sometimes you want to scream at their bad decisions, but you can't because, well, you want them to trust you. So you have to employ a measured, rational approach when all you really want to do is throw hands. Is there anything that you know now that you wish, like, oh, if I had known this when I was a teenager and, you know, being taking on all those responsibilities, maybe my life would have been easier. Just maybe when you look back, you wish like, I I, I I, wish I had this information.
1: I wish that I had reveled more. I was too, I was too afraid of how my actions yeah. were with other people. Like, there, there are a lot of context and nuances to like, why that was, but I was, I was just too afraid. Also because I knew, I knew too much about our situation. I knew too much about oh. like, all the other things that my siblings are just now finding out, uh, I would have just I could have said more, more no's. I could have like yeah. just stood out a little bit longer. I could have made friends or just be be, be more childish. I I I did not I've always been like an old woman from like whenever. <laughs> like I could have just been more childish. And uh, every time I was childish, my parents would just remind me of like no, you're not supposed to be doing that. Your siblings are looking at you. They're
0: watching you. Why are you crying water there? Why are you doing? I had to pull Anita back here to remind her that her inability to say no to a lot of things back then wasn't really her fault. It would have been difficult to go against her parents' wishes as a child. I feel like this is something many African women can relate to. We were raised to do as we're told. You know, that all eyes are on us at that young age. And because of your so-called responsibilities, your behavior cannot differ from how you have been conditioned. I think one thing that we don't talk about enough is how, as firstborn daughters, we internalize a lot of the things we were raised to believe. We carry some of these behaviors with us into adulthood. They affect our education, our work, our relationships.
1: I think for me, what I figured out was that I tended to speak like I was speaking to my siblings. You know how you speak in baby voice? Like, oh, shit. Don't stay here. Put it here. Why did you put it here? Okay. What do you.
0: Imagine talking to a full grown adult
1: like that, like yeah, yeah. So I, I would, I would talk like that, and I was. Someone was like, "You're very infantilizing. Like you infantilize oh. me." And in my head, I'm like, "What do you mean? Like, what, what do you mean by that? Like, have you seen you? Like you're yeah, like six something. Like how, how does somebody someone like you?" But, but the truth was, I, I, I definitely was.
0: Depending on what you learned as the firstborn daughter. Your experiences growing up will definitely find a way to come at you in adulthood. Our most formative years are when we're growing up. That's why Anita caught herself speaking to others the way she would speak to her younger ones. Personally, I realized that my inability to go easy on myself stems from being the firstborn daughter. As a child, I always had to be perfect. I couldn't afford to make mistakes. And the idea of setting a good example for my sister and two brothers was constantly drummed in my ears. These days, when I make a mistake, I'm hard on myself. I get so mad at myself for not being the good example I was told I had to be growing up. It took a while, and my husband pointed it out to me, for me to realize that it's something I carried from childhood. But how do you hack these traits? How do you recognize the behaviors that are as a result of your upbringing as the firstborn daughter?
1: Like, just open your mouth, find people who are like... Who have similar experiences right because oftentimes you are in your head you think that oh yes. you are the only one who or this this thing is peculiar to you like oh you're the only person who went through this your parents did not like you blah 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 the first thing that i just told myself when i moved was that i needed a community of people who who also needed a community of people so i would see somebody i'd be like, ah, like i like your vibe okay you know what you meet my other friend and all of that and i do this regular thing and i've always done it so just sitting on my friends together over like food or drinks and just having the weirdest conversations about openness like how did that make you feel Mm -hmm. tell me how did you grow up and i'm always like just asking people questions so talk if you can afford therapy you know afford it and just have it but most importantly you just have to bear at the back of your mind that your parents are human beings
0: Anita makes an interesting point. Sometimes it's hard to tell what behavior or opinion you hold is triggered by your childhood. But talking to others with similar experiences can help you distinguish the traits that are influenced by your upbringing. It also helps you to bond with people who can relate to your experiences. I also like how she casually snuck in the need for therapy there. Because a lot of us need therapy to work through all the responsibilities placed on us as kids. Anita has gotten to a place where she has reconciled a lot of her childhood experiences. She's no longer mad at her parents for some decisions they made on her behalf. Instead, she's trying to understand why they made those decisions. Sometimes, poking at the context for why our parents raised us the way they did helps us to understand what drove them to make certain decisions. It doesn't mean we have to accept it or even be okay with it, but at least we understand the rationale.
1: Your parents are human beings. They did not come from heaven with manual on how to raise children. At best, they had like just they just had dreams and hopes of doing better than their parents. And only God knows what happened when they were parented by their own parents. So when you have that humanity attached to them, as well as just learning to talk.
0: Learning to talk, dialogue is so important. It wasn't easy, but Anita made sure to have recurring conversations with her parents about her childhood, about how she was raised. She poked at a lot of things. Now, she has context on why they parented her that way. Her mom apologized to her last year about everything, and her dad has done so over and over again in his own way. Now, I know not everyone will be able to have these conversations with their parents about things like that, and not everyone should. But it's important to find ways to distress, to reconcile your upbringing with who you are now.
1: Utilize your friends. Just utilize your community. Utilize your money if you have it to go to therapy. There are a lot of things that we don't even know have affected us. And then True. the moment you start like peeling the layers and peeling the layers, you're like, oh my God, that's why I'm so defensive. That's why I'm so yeah. That's why I'm so possessive. And it's not all bad. You know, sometimes we talk about it like yeah. it's all bad. There, there, there are things that there are lessons that you just pick up on the way that a lot of people, because of their position of birth, they don't pick up. They start to mm. learn in like, professional settings, or they start to learn when life is teaching them. You know, so it's it's not a bad experience. It's just it's just weird
0: and complicated. Yeah. What are some of yeah. the ways that you feel like we can parent like the first girl child with? less pressure, with empathy, maybe stuff that you wish had been done differently for you or something like that.
1: Just teach values, be there, like emotionally support children. We don't get as much emotional support as the other children. So if you can just try and even the scale a bit and just provide across the board emotional support, That, that would just help. Because what you really need growing up is to know that you're supported and that even when you're being corrected for your mistakes they are your mistakes not like just mistake like it's your mistake that they're correcting Uh, you. uh. so just having that mindset of being able to parent equally if you can that would help
0: facts not a single I was told I'm not a parent and I don't know if I'll ever be but I know that receiving the same or at least close enough support as my siblings did would have taken away a lot of the pressure I felt growing up. Also, since we're technically the next generation of parents, it's important for people like us to continuously interrogate our behaviors and feelings. Why do we feel a certain way about something? Why is the place triggering? Why do we always hyper-focus on certain tasks?
1: So when you find out context, and that's also how you break generational curses and traumas and that's also how you are like, oh, I don't want to be my parents. If you are not looking for the mm-hmm. context, if you're not looking for, like, the reasons, you're not asking questions enough to interrogate your own lives and feelings, and then you just sit there and say, after all, you know, I'm reading things on Twitter, Oh my friends <laughs> are not be like my parents. You'll be there, or then the, the characters just start creeping on you. But you need to be able to interrogate these feelings. You need to know your yeah. why, you need to know their why. It does not make the thing bad or good. If something is good or something is bad, that's a conversation on its own.
0: Finding the context, asking questions, and looking into our childhoods might bring us answers. And who knows, understanding why we are the way we are might prevent us from making the same mistakes our parents did with firstborn daughters. For example, now that I have the awareness that I always seek for perfection because I was raised that way as the first daughter... I'm going to work with the knowledge of how that impacted me and do my best not to let my first daughter, if I have one, experience the same. Of course, it's easier said than done, but being able to recognize a problem or a pattern makes it simpler for you to act on it. And you cannot 100% shake off the impact of being the firstborn, but like with Anita, you can walk through it and come to terms with why you, as a woman, was raised the way you were. It doesn't necessarily mean accepting it, it just means understanding the context for why the expectations of firstborn daughters are different. There's the patriarchy, parental upbringing, societal conditioning. The list is endless. And I've learned from Anita that your birth position, while challenging, doesn't have to be a limitation. I hope firstborn daughters out there give themselves grace. I hope they find the courage to live their lives for themselves. Like Anita, I hope that moving forward, they are able to be defined by their own choices and actions. Thank you for listening to this episode of I Like Girls. I Like Girls is produced by 27 Productions. If you'd like to get in touch with us, visit ilikegirls.co. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at ilikegirlsgang. Please rate and review I Like Girls on whatever streaming platform you listen to podcasts on. Rating us helps other people to discover the podcast just like you. This episode is produced by me, Aisha Salahuddin, and written by Olivia Obuago. Audio Engineering is by Daniel Atkins. And our theme music is by Banks with a double G. The rest of the music you heard throughout this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. I'll catch you on the next one.